Welcome to another edition of the Inside Scoop. My name is Neil Crawford. I'm your host and also the founder of Anytime Soccer Training. If you're not familiar with the Inside Scoop, it's a podcast dedicated to helping parents learn about the soccer pathways that would be available to their child if they live in another city around the world. And this show is brought to you by Anytime Soccer Training. Anytime Soccer Training is a unique web application that houses well over 5,000 training videos covering every major skill area. And what makes it unique is the average video is less than five minutes. The program is 100% follow along. So that means you you see a slow motion demonstration, you get a timer, you get a beeper. And coaches love it because you can create teams and see that the players are actually doing it. You can set a goal as well. So check out anytime-soccer.com to learn more about what we do. It's completely free to join. You get a lot of great free content and you um, become part of the family and you get more information like this. So again, anytime-soccer.com, check it out. Really appreciate your support. Now let's get on to the show. This hopefully will be a quick show. And this show is a series of shows that I'm gonna do where I try to answer specific questions and address specific comments that have been posted in our Anytime Soccer Training Facebook group. And so if you're not a member of the Anytime Soccer Training Parents and Trainer Players Facebook group, I encourage you to do so. You can check out the website and go to um, the community and join, or just do a search for Anytime Soccer Training. We debate, we laugh, hopefully we learn. I don't know how much learning is going on, but we also bond and build community around this central question that we as parents and coaches to a lesser extent, but definitely parents are trying to solve, which is how to help our children in a competitive sporting environment while doing um, no harm. And so that's the central question that we always try to answer. And that's the central question that a lot of our topics uh, center around. And and so what I wanna do for a couple of podcasts is um, when I see a question or see a topic that posts, that, that pops up or a comment, just get on the podcast and give my own two cents because normally I try to add a nuanced view to it and I don't wanna sound overly preachy on social media. I think that ship has sailed for our existing members. You guys know who I am, how I am, but I'm trying to rebrand my social media presence to be a little bit nicer. So that hopefully more people will try uh, anytime soccer training. My friends always give me a hard time on this. And when they hear this, they're going to laugh. So with that being said, uh, we were we were talking about two very specific things. And I thought, you know what, let me just get on and, and give my two cents. So there was a question. So I posted a video or a couple of videos showing myself and my sons using the anytime soccer training program. And a lot of that is just marketing, but also I try to share some tips. So one of the videos I posted was me on my knees, um, passing the ball to my sons. And the purpose of my sharing that particular video is to show parents, hopefully, that anyone can help their child. I, you know, I barely can get up nowadays and I'm out there able to help my son get better. So as long as you, we all, you don't need a soccer experience, you don't even need to know how to serve the ball, you can get out there and help your child, right? So that was the per- first purpose of sharing that. 
And then in the comments, another person said, hey, I like that because they're getting a lot of repetitions and that's important for muscle memory. And then someone asked, well, what is muscle memory? So we're gonna tackle that question. Then I posted another video of my older son doing a particular dribbling drill where he was manipulating the ball with three to four parts, I think three parts of his feet, of his foot and using one foot. And I made the comment, hey, one of the things that we try to do with the program is isolate the foot as well as put it all together. And we like isolating the foot because you can work on one foot, blah, 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 at a time. And the question, and then a comment was, well, if you just do alternating feet, you don't have to do that. If you alternate feet by definition, they're gonna use both feet. So I thought I would jump on the podcast and try to answer slash address both of those. And I'm gonna add my own little nuance that will be lost in translation in most chat chat environments. So if you're a loyal listener to the show, then you know that I tend to try to speak directly to a few groups of people, one of them being parent trainers, people who believe in the power deliberate practice, people who uh, are unwilling to outsource 100% of their child's development to something, or at least if they do outsource it, they understand that child won't reach their full potential, uh, but they understand this precarious relationship between a parent and child, and they wanna get that right, be reflective. That's one group of people. And then another group, or people are my, my own boys. I want to leave an audio diary for them. And then to a lesser extent, I like to share this information so that our coaches can start getting insight on what this small group of people, which I'm calling parent trainers, have to go through and how can we support them. And then I think, I believe by supporting them, we will get our larger group of parents, right, who want to support their child, not going to be gung-ho like the parent trainers, but definitely want them to do get some extra touches at home by supporting us and understanding um, the dilemmas that we have, by extension, we're gonna support those parents who also actively wanna help their children, but don't necessarily uh, have the aspiration to do as much as, as we as parent trainers are doing. So those are some of the um, key uh, demographics that I'm speaking to in this podcast. And now that I said that, so the first reason we do isolated foot, feet, and this is kind of directed to the parent trainer who's been in the trenches is because I follow what I call a one job principle, especially when I'm working with my children, one job principle. So you've seen that meme or you've seen those jokes where the person says, bro, you had one job. So maybe you see a street in, uh, and they, they misspelled the word stop. So he's painting the street and they spelled it S-O-T-P or something. And then the caption will read like, bro, you had one job. That's all you had to do. Well, I follow the one job principle with my sons. And what I try to do in order to save my sanity or preserve my sanity, preserve their sanity and not overwhelm them, is I introduce one move at a time. That is not an anytime soccer training thing. Anytime soccer training is a reflection of this one job principle that I developed when working with my sons, because I didn't always start that way. But when you work with your own kids, I don't care what it is. It's something about working with your children. And maybe your children are, are the exception. Definitely email me if they are. And you ask them, if you ask them to do these, this thing and then do that thing and do this thing, whatever you ask them to do, they're going to do the opposite. Now, if you make up in your mind, you're happy with them doing the opposite of what you ask them to do, you don't need the one job principle. And, and, then you, and so whatever you ask them to do, they're going to do the opposite. Or whatever you ask them to do, they're not paying attention because you remember you're on this daily grind. And in all fairness, a lot of times the instructions you give as a parent can be confusing. 
So there have been many times where I've gotten upset with my sons and they say, dad, I, I didn't know. I didn't know what you were talking about. And I had to reflect on that saying, man, I'm not being clear. I'm not being very clear about what I, what I want. I did say this and it sounds like this and my children are young and they sincerely didn't know. And now I'm upset and it's not even their fault. And oh, by the way, there's no reason to be upset on a training environment anyways. They're already doing something they don't particularly wanna do. And so we gotta keep this, um, we have to keep this uh, process uh, as pleasant as possible. So then I came up with the one rule, the one job principle, which is saying, hey, listen, when, you're, when I'm introducing something to you, I want you to focus on one thing. And I want you to focus on that one thing um, over and over, at least five times so that we're on the same page. The first few times you do that one thing, whatever it is, you're just learning what it is I want. You're not even learning how to do it. You're understanding the name of what I want, the foot that what I'm asking you to do, you know, how long it should take, whatever. Just what is it that you want? And then the next thing is we start refining how you do it. But how you do it and how you improve has a lot to do with the reps. So, so the one job principle says, if I want you to dribble, then we're going to start with dribbling with your right foot or a single foot. I don't want to confuse this with you doing anything with your non with your left foot or the other foot yet. I just want to make sure you understand what it is we're trying to do. And I'm using dribbling as an example. It could be juggling. It could be anything. And we're going to do that five times, 30 seconds on, 10 seconds off to make to ensure that you have it. That's the one job principle. And then tomorrow, we're going to do that same exact drill, but we're going to do it with the other foot. Now, we're not having a conversation about which foot. We're not having a conversation about using both feet or manipulating. It's one job. I want to get, I want you to do that drill at its most fundamental uh, component because then we can add stuff to it. So that's the one job principle. Don't want to go too, um, too far into that, but that's been a game changer for my ability to communicate with my sons on, on what what to do. And that's been a game changer and then stacking more and more complexity onto the initial one job. That's a parent trainer thing. That's not going to resonate with 99.9% .9 of the people listening to this or 99.9% .9 of people out there working with their kid. But that's going to um, that is going to uh, resonate with two types of people that's going to resonate with parent trainers who are going through this and that's going to resonate with anybody who like me who's went through boot camp <laughs> if you go through boot camp you'll you'll understand they break it down like bro i tie we're gonna learn how to tie our shoes then we're gonna learn how to do this then we're gonna learn how to do that then we're gonna learn how they, they really break it down and so that's kind of like the so that influences how i the learning system that we've created all right so the next thing is, um, in most training environments, team especially, but individual uh, training environments as well, there is a natural bias for the player to use their dominant foot. And if, if the trainer or the coach doesn't expend a tremendous amount of energy trying to um, offset that bias, that bias is going to be there. And they have to expend a, 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 a lot of energy daily. So it's not like, uh, so my younger son is left-footed. It's not like I spend all this energy trying to get, make sure that he gets equal amount of touches on his right foot today. And then tomorrow I don't have to do that again. 
it's it will be a it's a daily daily reminder and daily daily grind to ensure that your players are at a minimum getting um uh, a close to equal amount of touches with each foot but when it comes to non-dominant foot stuff i mean even you know if they get 30 percent um that's actually really really good because a lot of people argue you don't have to overdo it with the non-dominant foot but they definitely need to be very proficient with it i say that to say that the technology that we use eradicates that bias systematically by default by definition and it does it by again introducing one um, foot at a time right and it's technology so it's just an algorithm it doesn't change and it's in line with the one job principle that we talked about. So therefore, I don't have to divert any energy. And we're going to talk about energy in another podcast and, 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 and where we want to conserve energy in our training sessions. But from now on, for the rest of my son's training life with me, I never have to tell, say to them, use this foot or use that foot. The technology does it. And that's energy now I get back to focus on other things. And that's also energy they get back to focus on technique versus which foot. So that, 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 technology by, uh, that technology removing that bias is a very important. But the only way that you're gonna have technology remove that bias is again, let technology reflect the one job principle that we talked about. And that's how the algorithm works. Do one move, do the drill with this move, then do the drill with this move, and then do the drill with both move, and then we constantly work it that way. Now, there's another uh, concept that, I, that I'm going to define, and I talked about it in a previous podcast, uh, and I just can't remember where I got to go back and research it, but the question popped up about muscle memory. And so let me read the definition of neuroplasticity first, and then I'm going to talk about how their components to, um, I'm not going to go into too much details, but their components to improving neuroplasticity that using a single foot sort of um, ties into. So neuroplasticity refers to the physical change that occur in your brain in response to repetitions. So oftentimes, and I'll go for it, oftentimes what people do is when they see players do something that appears to be to them abstract or not um, linearly uh, associated with something that's happening in the game, they, mm, they misinterpret, I, I, I'm assuming, what is happening at, at the brain molecular level, right? You're really changing the brain uh, and refining motor skills so that when you're in this environment where those motor skills are required, um, the fibers in the brain, the nervous system in the brain is stronger, it's more strengthened that you can recall that you can, your brain can tell your foot to move in that way faster than they would have been otherwise. That's the essence of skill acquisition. And what I have explained in other podcasts, at least argued is you can refine and you can work on skill acquisition in isolation, right? You can do isolated things and you can combine those things in a game-like manner and neither of them mm, hurt the other modality. So if I go in the garage and kick a ball against a wall uh, 500 times a day, 
that doesn't that modality of refining the motor the first touch and the motor skills of kicking doesn't negatively hurt my um, game um, my game performance. So let me let me even be a little bit clearer. If I ask my sons to go into the back into the garage, kick the ball five hundred times every day, and they're doing that, and they're not quote unquote checking their shoulder when they're doing that that does not negatively build a habit of them not checking their shoulder in the in a game environment where checking your shoulder is required. At least that's been my experience. Because even if they did, quote unquote, check their shoulder in the garage, this would be an artificial, uh, artificial behavior that they would know is not really necessary. So all you would really be doing is making the technical drill a little bit more difficult, which is nothing wrong with that. But their brain would not be looking for anything. Um, and, if they, and if you did say, oh, okay, I'm gonna use numbers and stuff. Again, I did a whole podcast on this, but the numbers can't take the ball from them. So yeah, they can call the number out, but, the, but there's, no, there's no opposition. So there's a lot of stuff I did in the podcast and I'm kind of rambling there, but if you listen to that podcast, I'll share that podcast sort of what you need to create a game-like environment, it'll be a little bit clearer. But what I'm basically trying to say is when you're improving neuroplasticity, when you're improving what, what is commonly called muscle memory, you can do that in isolation, right? And that will not take away uh, from the game environment and will not build bad habits in the way that it's commonly purported on social media space and in coaching circles. So I said a mouthful there. So just let me summarize this. Let me summarize it first with the definition. Neuroplasticity refers to the physical changes that occur in your brain in response to repetition. It's how you remember what you learn in school or how you never forget to ride a bike. In reference to motor activity, neuroplasticity is basically a fancy word for muscle memory. And then in summary, there are ways to strengthen neuroplasticity by adding um, varying degrees of difficulty by making technical drills more uh, uh, more complicated, right? More more difficult, um, following a progression, and then you increase neuroplasticity by taking that um, technical skill and introducing it into a game-like environment or with opposition. But one of and I got to do a whole podcast on this. But one of the areas there are a lot of areas of confusion here. And some of the big areas of confusion is people sometimes tend to think it's a, a linear progression. So I, I need to, or a linear progression is ideal. So I need to practice this thing in isolation and then practice it in a game-like environment. And that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes I introduce things in a game-like environment so the child can get context of what we're trying to do. And then I'll break it out and say, okay, now we're gonna practice this thing in isolation. And then I want you to go back and, and then remember this as we use in a game environment. And there's another uh, framework that people use, advanced, beginner, and intermediate, or you could say beginner, intermediate, and advanced, and they apply that. But again, I think this misses the plot, especially in um, when we talk about neuroplasticity, because doing foundational type moves is strengthening the brain. And it yes, it might appear to be a beginner, and some the a beginner should do it in some respects, and sometimes you have to start somewhere. But um, but that activation work still has profound impact on improving neuroplasticity 
improving um, muscle memory as we've defined it, improving um, technical ability, even at the professional level. So in other words, doing activation work, uh, I would be very hesitant to um, uh, put it into a framework of beginner, intermediate, or advanced, or in a framework of, of yeah, you start there, you do unopposed, you know, activation work when they're really young, but as they get older, you now do it in the game. I'll be very hesitant to put them into those boxes and re really be a little bit more um, thoughtful about the functional areas that you want every player to uh, master and then layering those functional areas into your training environment at a time that fits uh, what you're trying to do. So I spoke a little abstract there. I hope you were able to understand, but that was a question someone had, what is um, muscle memory? And that's muscle, muscle memory is those reps. And that question was in response to me being on my knees, again, showing our parents that anyone can do it and just constantly feeding my son uh, a ball. Now, another thing that I do, and one another reason so I like being on the ground when I'm working with kids, especially at first, is because I am looking very closely at their feet and trying to pick up little things. And actually, that's part for my own education. And then I pass on some tips to them, really looking at their feet. All right. So then we talked about um, we talked about neuroplasticity and we talked about ways to improve neuroplasticity. And we talked about one of the ways was by adding a level of difficulty. Well, another way is technical variation. So by using each foot individually, you're introducing a degree of technical variation. I'm gonna breeze through these really quickly. And that technical variation is something that is produced that we use, that we leverage technology to do because getting this level of technical variation would be impossible with the human alone. But this technical variation is extremely important when uh, strengthening, uh, again, neuroplasticity, muscle memory, and all overall um, mastery of a particular skill, right? So using both feet introduces a degree of technical variation that using both feet just cannot, right? And then there's a technical volume. So I often talk about 5,000 training videos, 5,000 training videos. Well, one of the reasons we have the 5,000 training videos is because we want, to, we want the child to follow a very slow and comprehensive curriculum so that they're not overwhelmed with any particular move. And so by doing that move when possible with um, one foot in isolation, then they're slowly adding more and more volume without even knowing it, especially if the average video is only five minutes. So an example could be just take the simple toe taps, right? We, we are familiar with toe taps where the kid is tapping the ball with each foot, right? Well, then you can do that same move while you are tapping it with just your right foot. And then you can do that same move while you're tapping it with just your left foot. So now we've added uh, 15 more minutes of training you know, over the course of the training and we've added technical variation. And we have also followed the uh, one job principle. And there is something to be said about the strength and conditioning uh, when you isolate each foot as opposed to doing it both feet. And if you don't believe me, um, just try it. And that's gonna be my, my final point there. So that's a technical, technical volume. And then within games, it's, it's rare that kids or people I should say, use both feet in the way you use both feet in an isolated unopposed training environment. So 
let's take a drill like soul roll stops. I, I just use that where you just rolling the ball to one foot and then you stopping it with the other foot and then you roll the ball with one foot and then you stop it with the other foot, that kind of thing. Well, you can do that with just one foot. You can do it with both feet, blah, blah, blah. Or dribbling where you roll the ball and you dribble. It doesn't matter, just pick it. But in general, if someone's speed dribbling or someone's doing a soul roll or whatever, there are many occasions where they, where they are manipulating that ball with that foot and then continuing to go on with that foot. And we don't want to leave that out, right? They don't, they don't, it's, it's not common, at least from what I'm seeing, that people use both feet in a like-for-like -like way that you use both feet in an unopposed training environment, especially. They're using one foot or the other in many cases. I think that's a better, better way of saying it. In many cases, they're using one foot or they're using the other foot. And then, and so in our training environment, we want to replicate their, their, in practice, their ability to use one foot or the other foot. And then for technical variation, we put it all together as well. Um, another thing is just, it's just harder. Like if you do juggling drills, go out there and try it. Try to juggle. If you're not used to it, try to juggle with just your right foot for 30 seconds and then try to juggle with just your left foot for 30 seconds and then try to juggle with both. You're going to see that it's harder for the child to do use their non-dominant foot in many of these um, situations. It's a lot harder. And then kids who are weak with their non-dominant foot will overcompensate uh, with their dominant foot. So what I mean by overcompensating, you can have two children who can both juggle a hundred times and I'm using juggling as an example. I don't want my Croy uh, is how, how the weight of the past folks to jump on me. I'm just using this as an example so you can picture it. So you have two people and they both can juggle a um, hundred times, right? Well, it's very possible because I see it all the time that this, Two kids who can juggle a hundred times use alternating both feet. If you ask them to juggle with their dominant foot uh, for a hundred juggles, they would have little problem doing that. But then if you ask them to do their non-dominant foot for a hundred juggles, they would struggle mightily. And so then what that means is when they're alternating feet juggling, even though it appears that they're both juggling um, at equal competency, they're actually overcompensating for um, for their non-dominant foot with the precision and accuracy of their uh, dominant foot because they're, when you do juggling or any of these exercises, if you're using both feet alternating in that way, then the lack of touch with your non-dominant foot can be self can be corrected in a way that you don't even notice if you're just casually observing. It can be corrected with your dominant foot to get you right back on, on task. So it's just harder to, to isolate the feet. That's just a short version. And finally, and I'm going to end with this. This went a little longer than I thought, but I'm trying to be thorough here. I call it what my dad called country common sense. Now, country common sense is not based on any science. Country common sense is just based on my own um, experiences. Take them at, with a grain of salt. So there's some country common sense that says, hey, you're in a sport. You got to use both feet. You're in a sport. You have to use both hands. You need to be equally as close to equally proficient in both of them as possible. Let's practice um, each foot and then let's put them all together. That's just country common sense. So if I was doing some body weight um, squat, I, I know that if I body weight squat with both feet, both legs, I'm going to overcompensate with my non-dominant foot 
I'm going to overcompensate for my non-dominant leg with my dominant leg, right? And then if I try to do that same body weight squat with just one leg, I'm going to quickly see how weak that one leg is compared to the other leg. And I'm using body weight squat as an example, saying the same amount of weight. So obviously using doing a squat your whole body with one foot is going to have more pressure on your leg. But relatively speaking, using one foot is just going to be harder, right? And that's just country common sense. I see it with my sons. I see it with the children I train. I am asking you to trust me when you're in these uh, unopposed training environments, especially juggling, especially aerial control, especially dribbling, encourage your child to use one foot one time, another foot the next time, then put it all together. Whether you use any time soccer training or not, it doesn't matter. What I typically see is a bias towards that strong foot, whether it be finishing, juggling, control, dribbling, whatever, and that bias is not corrected. And I believe that if you, uh, the people who are doing that, they're putting all of this effort into going on the field, which is great. And I really want them to get another huge benefit out of this that I think they may be missing. And that just hurts me because I'm like, man, 90% of the battle is being out there, but you're just missing that, not, that final little piece that can really, really help you guys take your game to the next level. I hope some of this made sense. I hope you guys took something away from it. I'm going to post it in the Facebook group. I rambled on just to see what, uh, and I rambled on, so I apologize for that, but definitely want to see what people have to uh, say about it. Again, check out anytime-soccer.com. My name is Neil Crawford. Let's get better together.